Father, we thank you for this evening as we come before your holy word. We pray that your word will minister to your people. I thank you, Lord, for what we've learned on redemption so far. We pray that you will continue to reveal yourself to us through the scriptures. Most importantly, help us to understand the revelation behind the word redemption and help us to apply it in our day-to-day Christian living in Jesus' name. Amen. Please go with me to the book of Hebrews chapter 10. Today I was thinking whether I, chapter 9 is enough. I'm like, no, let's read chapter 10. It's Bible study. I don't believe when we are doing Bible study, we should cut everything out. I mean, if it's preaching, that's understandable. And then it's Bible study. I think the more it's exhaustive, the better for clarity and understanding. Sake. So Hebrews chapter 10. So I start from verse 1. So um, I don't think I'll even go through recap because we have quite a lot to read tonight. So verse 1. For the law having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of the things. So the law, the law you see that it's two things here. It's a shadow. Number two, it's not the very image. Is it when when I look at when I think of image, I think of mirror. So the law is a shadow. It's not a thing. It's just a shadow. There is a difference between the substance of a dog backing and the shadow of a dog. Most of us will not be afraid of a shadow of a dog until we see the substance of it. I mean, the shadow of a dog, if you're afraid of dogs, will let you know that, look, there is a dog nearby, but at least you'll be cool. But if you see the substance of it and if you have some sort of phobia towards dogs, then it's real. The Bible is letting us know that the law is not the best to live by because it was a shadow of good things to come. So it it lets me know that the New Testament is the substance of good things that is here. But the law was a shadow of that good thing to come. Excuse me. Okay. So what's the difference between a shadow and an image? That's the question. That's a very good question. A, 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 a shadow a shadow is normally uh, reflected through light. An image is reflected through mirror. Because you don't get you don't get um, when you when you stand in the mirror you don't get the shadow. That when you stand in the mirror you get the reflection of the objects. You see when you stand in front of a mirror is the objects. You are the object in front of the mirror. What you see in the mirror is the image. And the image is the reflection of the object. But when we talk about shadow, shadow is normally reflected by light. So when you stand when you stand somewhere, what you see may be by the wall or on the ground, reflected by light is what is um, a shadow. You don't see shadow in the mirror. So someone has also written, shadow is a forecast, image is more exact. So for me, I think that was what the difference is. I think the difference between a shadow and an image will be the the, 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 the things used. 
when it comes to um, uh, an image, you will need a mirror. When it comes to a shadow, you will need the presence of light or the sun. Sunlight, that's it. Light. You will just need light. The light is the reflection of your being. And that's what Pastor Jessica wrote there. It's a forecast. Image is more like when you are in the mirror, the mirror captures the, the replication of the object and it's reflected back, which is called an image. Minister, did I answer your question? I tried. So, I mean, both, both of them, it's like, it's the actual person, right, who is, um, I don't know how to say it, but it's, it's still, like, if you see a shadow of me, it's because I am there, right? And that's how come you're seeing a shadow of me. And if you see an image, it's also because I am standing in the mirror and you're seeing an image of me. So I guess my question is, how are the two different when at the end of the day, it, they both point to me, the actual me. I, I don't know if my question... Yeah, your, your, your question is very clear. What, what the scripture is trying to let us know is that the law is not, the law is not substance. It's not substance. That, that's the whole thing that it wants us to understand. You see, image and shadow is a preview to substance. It doesn't mean you have the substance, you have the thing, the, the actual tangibility of the thing. You just have a substance. So when the Bible says that the law is a shadow and it's a very image of the things to come, what is making us understand is that the law, the Old Testament, was a preview of Christ who will become tangible and become very real to us. Shadows and, and images have more to do with abstract things than things that are tangible. When, when, when you see a shadow and when you see an image, you get the feeling of the aura of the presence, but you don't feel the tangibility. Can you touch a shadow? Can you touch an image? No, but you can feel and understand the aura or the presence of it. But once you see the substance, that's something you can touch, you can feel, you can hold, you can be handled. Go with me to John, 1 John. I just remember the scripture, 1 John chapter 1. This was John talking about something. 1 John chapter 1 verse 1. This is John the disciple. He, his, he, what he was saying is that I came to present something more than a shadow or more than an image. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. You see, so John here had a greater testimony than the law. He said, I'm not just talking about something abstract. I'm talking about something I saw with my eyes. I looked upon my hands handled. He was very tangible. Jesus the Son of God, who was clothed in flesh, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, something that I could hold and I could touch. He is someone I could handle, the Word of life. The law, you can't give such a testimony. You just feel the aura, the presence of the thing, but you don't feel its tangibility. Are you understanding me? So I believe that when we read Hebrews chapter 10, that is where... The author wants to point the law to. The law is just a shadow of the good things to come. What are the good things? Forgiveness of sins, eternal redemption, all those things. You, you sort of get an idea. <clears throat> the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. You got the idea. You got the aura, the presence of it. But the New Testament helps us to experience these things. It's not just a preview now. We are now walking in it. So that's what the... Old Testament is being pointed to by the author in Hebrews chapter 10. All right, Pastor Jessica, you may ask your question or contribute. I saw your hand raised. Yeah, no, um, I think you did a, good, a great job. I, I like the scripture that you used, but 
So all um, thing that I was gonna say was to maybe help with the picture of it was, you know, a shadow is only an outline. When you see a shadow of a person, you only see the outline of the person. But when you see, it's still the same person, but when you see the image of the person, it's much clearer. You see it better, you get it. You're like, oh, okay, 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 okay. Now I see you better for who you really are. And I think that the law is a shadow. It gave us an outline of who Jesus is, who God is, what he stands for. Then when we saw Jesus come, now we went, ah, got it. Now it all makes sense why we did what we did. What, you know, you understand what I'm trying to say. So I think that that's how I'm kind of seeing it. As, and then as you're explaining it, it can emphasize more what I was thinking. I just wanted to add that in and be in my help for all of us. Okay. Pastor Roberts. Oh, I, I don't think I can hear you, Pastor Roberts. Sorry, can you hear me now? Yes, I can. Yeah, I... From what Pastor Jessica is saying, I just wanted to give an example. Those days, you know, we had this picture. When you take a picture, you have the negative, and then you go and print from the negative, and you get the actual image. So I just, I just wanted to use that example from what Pastor Jessica is saying to explain. Okay. Oh, you didn't explain. I don't think. Does it, Does everybody understand what Pastor Roberts is saying? Yeah. Oh, so. What I was trying to say is like from up as this guy is explaining, like those days, you know, when you take a picture, you have this um, negative from the film. Those days, Kodak picture, you have the negative, and then um, you go and print from the negative and you get the actual image. So I was just trying to use Pastor Jessica's illustration that the negative will probably be the shadow, and then when you print it, you get the actual image from the negative. So the negative, even though it's some sort of the image, but it's not the real image. You have to print from the negative to get the um, the pick the actual image. So from what was this guy saying, that's how I understood. Okay, great. That's very powerful. Uh, Minister Lily, is your question answered? Okay, she said yes. She said I should. I should tell you yes. Thank you very much. All right, let me look at the Amplified. Verse 1. For since the law has merely a rude outline. I don't know how I use the word rude outline. What's a rude outline? I don't know. Foreshadowing of the good things to come, instead fully expressing those things. It can never by offering the same sacrifices continually year after year, Make perfect those who approach its altars. Let me look at the Amplified itself. This Amplified Classic. For since the law has only a shadow, just a pale representation of the good things to come, not the very image of those things, it can never, by offering the same sacrifice, continue to make perfect. So, shadow, it's a pale representation. So I think Pastor Jessica's word that she used, forecasters, is very much in line with that. Amen. Okay, so the Bible lets us know that why is the law a shadow and not the very image? Because of the sacrifices. So now it's just, it's narrowed it down to sacrifices. There are many reasons why we can say the law was a shadow. For example, we can talk about Sacrifice, that's one way. We can talk about worship, that is one way. So there are many things that we can look at. And even when you read Colossians chapter 2, let's go to Colossians chapter 2. There's Bible study. So sometimes it's good to open to scriptures. Colossians chapter 2. Verse 16. So let no one judge you in food or in drink regarding a festival, a new moon, or Sabbaths, 
which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. So when we are talking about shadow, the next thing we have to look at is substance. A shadow, like I said, it's not tangible. A substance is something real. So Paul was saying that when we judge people by food, drink, now when you're talking about food or drink, the example when you're talking about drink here, it's not talking about alcoholic or non-alcoholic. It's talking about drinks dedicated to temple idols or not. In this context, that's what Paul is talking about when he talks about drink. Food, he's talking about whether it's dedicated to temple idols or not. In the Old Testament, you could not eat certain foods because they were dedicated to temple idols. A typical example was Daniel. When you read Daniel chapter 1, the Bible lets us know that, verse 8 specifically, the Bible lets us know that Daniel purpose not to defile himself with the portion of the king's foods or delicacies. I know some verses use the word delicacies. So it talks about that. That's Daniel under the old covenant. Now, the Bible says that when we come under the new covenant, we don't necessarily have to practice Daniel. Because the food that Daniel did not eat because it was dedicated to temple idol. If I should eat food that is dedicated to temple idol, I don't defile myself according to this scripture. And if I try to practice what Daniel practiced in Daniel chapter 1, I am just doing it, understand, not understanding Christ is now my substance. So you can't judge me because I've eaten food that belongs to baby, dedicated to temple. That doesn't make me unclean. It doesn't make me unclean. Jesus rather said, what rather comes out of you is what makes you unclean. Not what goes inside you. Amen. So that's what Jesus was saying. And Paul got the revelation of that. So Paul is saying that no one should judge you in food or drink, festival, new moon, or Sabbath. So the law, there were many reasons why we could say that it was a shadow. And these were some of the reasons. Sabbaths. You don't judge somebody on a Sabbath. That's why in, in, in today's Christianity, whether you worship God on a Saturday is inconsequential because we are no longer under the law. If you want to worship God on Saturday, cool, have your, have your peace. If you also believe that you want to worship the Lord on Saturday, on Sunday, great. But we don't judge people according to that. New, a new moon, I find it funny. New moon, new moon. New moon means that at the beginning of every month, you want to do something extra. And sometimes we practice some of these new moon things. You know? Like you want to bring a special offering to mark a special month. That's why personally, I don't like to do biblical numerology with moms and all those things because sometimes it's new moon. It's new moon practice. Amen. But now, so you see, when the Bible talks about the law, it's a shadow. There are many reasons why we could look at it as a shadow. But now, when we look at Hebrews chapter 10, which we are going back to read, when we are talking about the law was a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of things to come, we are talking specifically in the area of sacrifices. Do you all understand? Is it it too much? Am I all over the place? Do you get it? I I want to know whether we perfectly understand so that I can move on. If you have any questions, you can ask. Okay. All right, so it's one person answering for all of us. We all good, right? Okay. So now, the Bible lets us know that the law having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things can never with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make those who approach perfect. So the reason why the law was a shadow of things to come was because the sacrifices could not make us perfect. And we've gone ahead to establish what the sacrifices were last week. For then, would they not have ceased to be offered? So... The author is making an argument here. And you have to understand why the author was writing this. The author was writing this because still, there were some people who still believed in animal sacrifices. 
there were still some Christians, you know, this is normally, this was written to Jewish Christians, not Gentile Christians. There were still Jewish Christians who were struggling. They were struggling to unlearn their Judaism practice, you know, and, and accepting New Testament living. They were really struggling. So they will say, I believe in God, but they will still practice animal sacrifices. And the author was writing to let them know that, look, let me give you this argument. The animal sacrifices that you believed in, if it was perfect, why was it offered year by year? He said the author wanted to bring their mind to sacrifice, which talks about Jesus' sacrifice. He did it once and for all because it is greater than that of animal sacrifices. And it has given us something far more better, which is redemption. So the author is trying to draw the Jewish Christians to that at that time because Jewish Christians were under a lot of pressure by the Jewish folks who were still practicing Judaism that you can't forsake Judaism roots and then come and follow this new religion because Christianity at that time was seen as heresy. It did not really have proven or strong roots it was seen like, look, somebody has died and he said he has done something. And, you know, it, it was seen more as heresy. It was seen more, let's give it, let's give it time. Will this last? In some few years to come, this thing it will be out of fad and everything. So not many people really believed in Christianity. You had to really be a zealot to believe in Christianity at that time. And then the author is writing that, look, being a Christian means you have to conform to the New Testament totally. And one of the ways you will conform is that even your approach of sacrifice has to change. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, there is no need to sacrifice when you sin. Believe in this man who died on the cross. He has become the perfect sacrifice, the perfect atonement for your sins. You don't need to offer any more sacrifices. So this is where Hebrews chapter 10 is heading to us. Now, the author is going to draw, draw a strong case for why Christ's sacrifice, which brought redemption, is greater than that of animal sacrifices. So let's read on. For the worshippers, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sin. So he was saying that, look, animal sacrifices, it was weak because it was done yearly. So it wasn't effective. Number two, animal sacrifices also didn't purge the consciousness of sin. You still walked around with the guilt of sin. It didn't purge you. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. It couldn't. The, 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 the blood of bulls and goats could only cover sins, but it could not take it away. That's remission. It couldn't remit sins. It could just atone, which was to cover sins. Amen. Now, verse 5 is now going to talk about Christ. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the volume of the book. It is written of me. To do your will, O God. Previously saying, sacrifice and burnt offerings and offerings for sin you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I've come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. By that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So now the author goes ahead to talk about Jesus. And Jesus came to do the will of the Father. He came to be that substitutionary sacrifice. And the Bible lets us know that by his offering, by laying down his body, he did something that the blood of bulls and goats, which was done yearly, could not do. He came to take away sin and he has made us sanctified. And sanctified means we've been set apart. We've been cleansed. We've been purged. Just by one sacrifice. And that is redemption. 
That is something that the blood of bulls and goats could not do. It could not take away sin. It could not purge the consciousness of sin, the guilt. And even when you do the the, uh, uh, day of atonement every year, you still had the reminder of sins. That is why the law was a shadow of good things to come. Because in Hebrews chapter 9, we learn that we have been perfected forever by redemption. Perfect redemption. Eternal redemption. The law was a shadow of eternal redemption. The law was pointing that a time was coming, yearly offerings will cease. Because God will come in the form of man, take on the form of a body, as the son of God. He will present his body as a sacrifice. His body will represent all the offerings, burnt offerings, sin offering, trespass offering, all the offerings. And once for all times, he will perfect us forever. And we will experience what is called sanctification. And that's why the author of Hebrews could boldly write that the law is a shadow. That's why when you go back to the practices of the law, you are practicing shadow. You are not practicing the substance of Christ, which is real. Practicing the law will not let you have a real feel, a foretaste, and and taste of the real grace, mercies of God, and experience Christ for yourself. So that is where the author is coming to. So the author is saying that Jesus, who died with a body that was prepared for him, has sanctified us by offering himself. Therefore, there is no need for you to go back to the Judaic way of worship by sacrificing year by year. Amen. Now, let's look at verse 11. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. So, the priest does that every year. But this man, who is Christ, who was also the high priest, after he had offered one sacrifice, now, if you want to understand the priestly ministry of Christ, chapters 5 to 7, you will see that there. I mean, if you read a bit of chapter 8, it talks a bit about the priestly ministry of the about chapters 5 to 7, those of the priestly ministry. So Christ was a high priest. And I did establish that last week that he is our high priest. What is Jesus presently doing? I talked about it. He's not just Lord. He's also our high priest. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. Now, I did explain this. When we say sat down at the right hand of God, it's not a literal, you know, um, expression. It's a figurative expression, okay? It simply means that he's now God. It doesn't mean that literally he's sitting at the right, okay? From that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. By one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. So this was something that the high priest could not do. The offerings that he did yearly, they could not take away sins. They could not perfect us. They could not sanctify us. But the Bible lets us know that Christ, he just offered himself once as the sacrifice. That was the commemoration for last week, the passion, you know, especially between Good Friday and Sunday. We are celebrating Christ who laid himself down as the perfect sacrifice, the lamp of God who came to take away the sins of the world. His offering took away the sins of the world. His offering has perfected us or it has completed our salvation and it has also made us sanctified. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us for after he has said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, say the Lord. I'll put my laws into their hearts and in their minds I'll write them. Then he adds, their sins and lawless deeds I'll remember no more. Now, where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. 
So what have we learned so far in the first 18 verses? Simple. Christ came to put an end to the sacrifice of blood, of, of the sacrifice of bulls and goats. Why? Because Christ's offering has perfected our redemption. And how did it perfect our redemption? By remitting our sins. And now the Bible lets us know that where there is remission of sins, there is no longer an offering for sin. So today, currently, if you believe in the sacrifice of bulls and goats, it's cost 90. It's doing nothing. What are you offering a sacrifice for? That what you are offering a sacrifice for has already been taken care of. God looked at the body of his son and he said that this offering is good enough. It has remitted the sins of the world. It has sanctified the people. It has taken away sins. So therefore, anything after Christ's offering is not good enough. That's why, biblically speaking, the practice of bulls and goats are not good. It's biblically erroneous. It's not scripturally supported. Because the Bible lets us know that now, where there is remission of sins, there is no longer an offering for sin. And sometimes when you talk about this, people will think that, you know, places like Haiti and Africa, they practice uh, animal sacrifices. Here in America, people practice animal sacrifices. Don't be deceived at all. There are still people here, pockets of Americans here who believe in animal sacrifices. It has no effect. It has no power. And it is offensive to the blood of Jesus. Because the Bible lets us know that where there is remission of sin, Christ has already forgiven. uh, 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 God has already forgiven sins because of the blood of Christ. That became the agency of redemption. So because of that, anything after the offering of Christ is useless. So Christ's sacrifice put a stop to all sacrifices. That's why it is called eternal redemption. It's called eternal redemption because it is complete redemption. Our redemption has been completed. And if our redemption has been completed, why will we see the essence to go back to the offering of Bulls and goats. Amen. Now, the author is going to admonish us that hold fast your confession. That's, that's what he's going to say now from verse 19 right up to verse 25. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. So, redemption is powerful. It didn't just cleanse us from our sins. It also gave us the boldness to access the presence of God by a new and a living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh and having a high priest over the house of God. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. That is possible. In the Old Testament, like I told you last week, the only people who could go to the inner court it didn't even have the presence of the Lord. The presence of the Lord, which was the Ark of the Covenant, was in the Holy of Holies. Only one person could go there. That was the high priest. The priest couldn't go there. The Levites couldn't go there. Just the high priest. The Ark of the Covenant. Just one person. And he goes there just once a year. But in the inner courts, like I told you, it's just the high priest, the priest, and then the Levites. At least they can be in the inner courts. If you were none of that, you were outside. You were in the outer court. And what was in the outer court? I explained it. The outer court was where um, the bronze lava and the altar of sacrifice. And if you were not a priest, a Levite, or a high priest, you could just watch, spectate, couldn't do anything. You would just watch, but you can't participate. But thanks be to God that when Christ died on the cross and redeemed us with his blood, purchased our redemption, which is now perfect redemption. Now, we are not just spectators. 
We also, like high priests, we have access to enter into the presence of the Lord boldly. And this is why we should campaign for Christ's perfect sacrifice. That's why, for me, I, I really think that Easter Sunday is just too short to express that because it's a lot. Too many things has the Lord. There is so much in redemption. Can't just talk about it on Easter, Good Friday, Easter Sunday, and then that's it. It's, it's a lot. Like, like I said, that is the bane of our Christian existence. Our Christianity hangs on four points. Christ's crucifixion, his death, burial, and resurrection. That's why we can say, in him we live, in him we move, and in him we have our being. Now, from what we have read in the scriptures, the Bible lets us know that we have access into the presence of God. How did he have access? By the blood of Jesus. Today, we can enter the Holy of Holies, a place where, under the law, people could enter the only once a year. Not people, just one person, a high priest. He enters there once a year. We have access. But you know the sad thing. We have access, but we don't take advantage of it. We don't take advantage. You know, we don't take advantage. We don't take advantage. There are some of us, you know, we don't enter into the presence of the Lord at all. The whole, we, don't, we don't go there. We don't, take, we don't take advantage. That's why when you learn about this, then you will know how prized your salvation is. Let's enter into the Holy of Holies. Christ redeemed us by being the perfect sacrifice. So can we have access? You see, Christ's redemption took away our sins. The blood of bulls and goats could not do it. Christ's redemption perfected us and sanctified us the blood of bulls and goats could not do it. Christ's redemption took away the conscience of sins so that we don't have to walk in guilt and condemnation anymore. The blood of bulls and goats could not do that. Christ's redemption has paved the way so that we can have access and enter into the Holy of Holies boldly. The blood of bulls and goats could not do it. The blood of bulls and goats had too many limitations. And it's important to emphasize the word boldness. Because every Jewish person was afraid of the presence of the Lord. There was a lot of protocol surrounding going to the presence of the Lord. Otherwise, it meant life or death. So now, the author of Hebrews is taking away the fear of entering the presence of the Lord, saying that, go there boldly. There is not necessarily any protocol because the blood has made sure that we have access. It's not a life or death issue. It's not about, if I am a Christian, will I like to go into the presence of the Lord? But in the Old Testament, whether you, you could just be a Jewish, it's not enough. You could be a priest, it's not enough. You could be a Levite, it's not enough. You have to be a high priest. That's the senior to enter into the Holy of Holies. Amen. So the Bible is letting us know that we should draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, which the sacrifice of Christ did that for us. And that's why we can now draw near. Because we are clean. We are clean. You see, this, this sacrifice affected our hearts. It gave us new hearts. The redemption of Christ. It gave us new hearts. It's also cleared us from an evil conscience. And our bodies are washed with pure water. We are clean. John chapter 15. That's why Jesus can authoritatively say, You are clean through the word I have spoken. You see, Jesus also became our cleansing agent. Amen. And we should hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. 
So every Christian listening to me tonight, hold fast to this confession. Hold fast to this belief that Christ is the perfect sacrifice and after him, there is no more sacrifice. Hold fast to this confession without wavering. Don't waver. Hold fast to this confession without having any doubts. Amen. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, by exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So as the day is approaching, it's important for us to fellowship. Right? It's important for us to fellowship. Sometimes being able to hold on to the truth, it can be done in a community. That's why it's so important to meet. So it's so important to meet. Because sometimes when we meet and when we see brethren who are of the same uh, like passions, the, 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 the fidelity of faith, it, 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 really, it, it, it really helps us to become resolute in our minds. Church is so important. Sometimes that's coming to church and meeting the same brethren. It helps you to become very strong in a doctrine. A doctrine that you alone might probably believe, but you might have a little bit of doubt. When you now meet in the community of believers, for example, church is the perfect example. It strengthens your belief to be able to hold fast to your confession without wavering. People who make it a habit of missing church, they, they, don't, they, don't, they don't hold fast to their confession. You see, we can never be wiser than the scriptures. Anybody you know who doubts, anybody you know who vacillates between uh, you know, opinions of the Bible and it's not strong in the doctrine, watch his church attendance. His church attendance is probably very erratic. You see, no matter how anointed you think you are, you still need to be in the community of believers. It helps you to hold fast to your confession. And one of the confessions that the scripture is telling us to hold on to is, Christ is our perfect sacrifice. Remember that. Remember that so that when you sin, you don't go back to the old Judaic practices, but you just believe in Christ who is the perfect sacrifice and has completed the end of the reign of the sacrifice of animals which is of bullocks, goats, and sheep. He has ended their reign. Believe in Christ. And when you believe in Christ, you are saved. We need to hold on to this. That is the bane of redemption. Amen. Now, verse 26. This scripture is normally taken out of context. For if we sin willfully after we've received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice of sins. I've normally heard people to say that when you sin willfully, God will never forgive you. How many of us have heard that before? How many? Anybody show by hands? I've seen people normally quote this scripture. If you sin willfully, God will not forgive you. But that's not what the scripture is telling us here. Number one, every sin is willful. Every sin. Every sin that you do, you will need an element of your will to do it. <laughs> so there is nothing like unwillful sin and willful sin. It's your, your, your will is involved in committing sins. But when the Bible talks about when we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. It simply means that when we have received the knowledge of the truth, that Christ is our perfect sacrifice. When you sin, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. That is, if you go back to the, the, the sacrifice of bulls, goats, and sheep, that is not going to clear your sins. Because the Bible said that where there is remission, there is no longer offering for sins. Christ is our perfect sacrifice. So if you sin willfully, ask God for forgiveness. Because Christ has become our perfect sacrifice. But if you have received this truth, 
And if you go back to the Old Testament practice of bulls, goats, and sheep, and believe in sacrificing them on an altar, practicing the Old Testament way, believing that you will receive atonement or you will receive forgiveness for your sins, the Bible lets us know there is no more sacrifice for sins. Why? Because there has already been remission of sins. Verse 14, we read it. And let me read it again. Now, where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. So there is no offering for sin. So it's either you believe in Christ being the perfect sacrifice for our sins or not. But if you want to believe in the old covenant way of sacrifice, the Bible lets us know that there is no more sacrifice for sins. Do you understand? Verse 27. But a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation will devour the adversaries. Now, let me tell you something. If you are not going to receive Christ, who is the perfect sacrifice, who can forgive us our sins, and you go to any other thing other than Christ, the Bible lets us know that a fiery indignation awaits you. A fiery indignation. And and this is why people are going to go to hell. People are going to go to hell not because they were bad. People are going to go to hell because they refuse to accept the sacrifice of Christ that he has paid for their sins. And therefore, what will await them is a fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. And anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot Counter the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing and insulted the spirit of grace. So the Bible is letting us know that if by Moses' law you are punished based on the testimony of two or more witnesses, how much more what you just did? You don't want to receive the perfect sacrifice for your sins, but you want to go to a substitute. The Bible lets us know that it is tantamount to trampling the Son of God underfoot. You have counted the blood of the covenant, which we have been sanctified, a common thing, and you have insulted the Spirit of grace. That is blasphemy. It is blasphemous if you will go to another way by which your sins can be forgiven rather than going to Christ, who is the perfect sacrifice who came to remit our sins. Amen. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I'll repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Ladies and gentlemen, the reason why we celebrated Easter is so that we can avoid the wrath of God. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It's a fearful thing to count the blood of Jesus worthless. It is a fearful thing to discount the sacrifice of Christ through which we experience real redemption. So remember why we celebrated Easter. So that we will will avoid falling into the hands of the living God because it's really a fearful thing. Verse 32. But recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with sufferings. Partly while you were made a spectacle both by reproaches and tribulations and partly while you were being companions of those who were so treated. For you had compassion on me in my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. So now... Verse 27, the author is encouraging them. When you came to the faith, you were persecuted. Your goods were plundered by your fellow Jewish brethren. But I am encouraging you, don't cast away your confidence. Verse 35, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance. And after you have done the will of God, you will receive the promise. Don't give up. It's tough. Yes, you are Jewish people and you have decided not to go back to the Jewish ways of practice and you want to 
to live according to the new covenant. Don't give up. Press on. You need endurance. And, and if with endurance you receive the promise of God, for yet a little while, he who is coming will come and will not tarry. So the author is letting them know that, hold on, because you will receive the promise of the Lord coming and you will not fall in the fearful, you will not fall in the hands of the living God, which is a fearful thing. And it's important. Why? Because they just have to learn how to live by faith. And how do we know that they just live by faith? Because if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. So no matter the persecution that you are facing because of your newfound faith, if you draw back, the Bible lets us know that God's soul has no pleasure in you. Hold on. And verse 39, but we are not of those who draw back to perdition but to those who believe of the saving of the soul. May that be your prayer, that you will not draw back to perdition. You are not one of those people that will draw back to perdition, but you will hold on to the truth. And what is the truth you have learned tonight? Christ has redeemed me by his blood. He has perfected me. I'm going to hold on to this truth. I'm not going to let anybody persecute me. I've been forgiven of all my sins. I will not walk guilty. I will not walk condemned. I will hold on to this truth because I have experienced true redemption. And there is only one way by which my sins can be atoned for, my sins can be remitted. It is through Christ's sacrifice. Not by any other means, Christ's sacrifice. Because if I know this truth and I look for other sources elsewhere for my sins to be forgiven. The Bible lets us know that we have counted the blood of the covenant a worthless thing. And we have trampled the Son of God underfoot and we've insulted the Spirit of grace. And I don't think we will want to take these heavy burdens on ourselves. Because when we do that, We prepare ourselves to fall into the hands of the living God, which is a fearful thing. Learn how to live free by understanding the concept of redemption. We have to read Hebrews chapters 9 and 10 because when we are talking about redemption through his blood, we have to understand the extent of Christ's sacrifice through which we experience perfect redemption. Amen. It's 8 o'clock. Who has any question? I allow for questions or contributions. Pastor, I have a question. Okay. Um, so you mentioned that um, Christ's sacrifice um, is perfect, right? Um, and that it's eternal because, um, okay, not because, but it purges us from the consciousness of sin which the sacrifice doesn't. And so my question is, should we, you know, when when we are praying, we thank God, we ask God for forgiveness before we go on to um, our petitions. Should we still be doing that? Should we be asking for forgiveness, knowing that what Christ did is eternal? We've, we've already been forgiven of our sins. Should we still be asking for forgiveness. When we do that, are we not being conscious of our sins? Good question. Amen. um, Sometimes I always tell the person that it it depends on the person's level of faith, his understanding. You know, I think that one of the best is that the person needs to really understand the new covenant way of living very, very well. Because sometimes just projecting your faith on the person, might also let the person walk in unbelief. You know? So, my, my, my question to you is that, have you sinned before you prayed? If you have, then yeah, ask God for forgiveness. And he's faithful to cleanse us of all sins. But what I find funny is that you have slept. You slept for eight hours, you woke up. The first thing you just say is that, Lord, forgive me for my sins. Aren't you sin conscious? Uh, you have a problem. That means you've not truly understood 
what Christ's death truly entails and what Christ's death has done. That is why this needs to be taught. You don't relegate this to just only two days of the year, Good Friday, Sunday, because uh, that's not enough. It, it, it covers a lot. I'm sure for some of you, Hebrews chapter 10 has become enlightening to you. It, it, it covers a lot. When you take time to read this, there is, there are so much, there, is, there is so much to it that one needs to know. But when we understand the new covenant, that's what I will say, you will not become sin conscious because the Bible lets us know that it cleanses us of consciousness of sin. So when you are a believer and you are still sin conscious, you slept eight hours, you woke up, you just say, Lord, forgive me for my sins. It means you are sin conscious. But sometimes there are some people who are praying who might say that, Lord, forgive me for my sins. Perhaps they may have done something that the Holy Spirit may have convicted them of it. And that's okay to pray about it. So some of these things, I don't like to really make fast rules on them. But what I'll really say is that when you understand the new covenant, it takes away consciousness of sins. You come to a place whereby you are more conscious of Christ has cleansed me. I am the righteousness of God and stuff like that. Amen. It doesn't mean that you will not be aware when you sin. Being aware of sin and confessing it is different from being sin conscious. Amen. All right. I hope I answered your question. All right. Who else? Okay. It's related a little bit to what you said earlier. From um, in verses uh, twenty six to twenty eight. Right. So it talks about that Jesus is the only thing that um, cleanses us cleanses us of our sins. Right. So there's a verse in the Bible that says. Um, it talks about forgiving others, right? If you forgive, uh, if you don't forgive, if you don't forgive your brother or your sister, then your sins are not forgiven. So, where does that fit in with this? I think I I I, I would get it, but I wanted to see what you you would think. Okay, so what do you get about that? So. So I don't think that the point in that specific scripture about forgive your brother and your sister is that um, you forgiving your brother and your sister is forgiving you of your sins. I think Jesus's point is that you should forgive your brother and sister because otherwise your consciousness is kind of like messed up because you, you won't be able to fully receive, not because... Not because Jesus um, hasn't cleansed you of it, but it's your mind that blocks you from receiving the fullness of what Jesus has already done. Am I correct in, in thinking like that? Uh, yes, or you are. Oh. Go a bit to okay. Ephesians chapter 4. Um, verse 32. It says, And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. So that's one of the things you understand when you are in the new covenant. It's not about forgive our Lord, for Lord, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. One thing you have to understand, I don't want to be controversial tonight, but let me say it, because truth is controversial. One of the things you have to understand about Matthew chapter 6 prayer was it was under the law. Are you aware that when Jesus Christ came in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that was under the law? Are you aware that was not the New Testament? We just did that in Hebrews chapter 9. The Bible says that for a, a testament to be in effect, there has to be the death of a testator. Are you aware of that? 
So you can't tell me you are in a testament when the testator is not dead. And that's why when you read Galatians chapter 4, the Bible says that Jesus was born under the law to redeem us under the law so that by adoption, all of us could be called sons of God. Galatians chapter 4, I think verse 5 to 6. Right? So when Jesus Christ was ministering, understand that he was ministering under the law. He wasn't yet under the New Testament yet. So some of the things there, it's still, it, it, it wasn't really, a, it, you, um, it was difficult to really understand the working of grace. But when it comes to forgiveness, you are able to forgive when you understand how much God has forgiven you. That's the only way you'll be able to forgive. And just like what Pastor Jessica said, if you don't forgive, it becomes difficult for you to receive Christ's perfect sacrifice for you. That's why when Jesus Christ was about to die, he said, a new way. I'm going to show you how to pray. I thought he showed them how to pray in Matthew chapter 6. He said, when I go, in, this, in, in that day, you will ask me nothing. But now, ask the Father in my name, then you shall receive it. Are you aware Jesus taught his disciples two kinds of prayers? So if the Matthew 6 one was good enough, he should have left that one there. Now he taught them now, you have to learn how to pray in my name. So when it comes to the new covenant reality, we have to really understand it very well. When it comes to forgiveness, we forgive knowing how much God has forgiven. To whom much is forgiven, much is required. Now, I'm also not saying that most of Jesus' teachers are discounted. They are not discounted. They are very important and they are a central theme to the New Testament. And mind you, the New Testament was drawn from the Old Testament. So there's no way you can also throw away the Old Testament totally. But, but in some of the portions of Jesus' sayings, some of them were Old Testament sayings, which will apply differently because we are under the New Covenant. And one of them is forgive us, our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Now, as Christians, we forgive because we know how much God has forgiven us. If you don't understand that, it will be very difficult for you to forgive your neighbor. Amen. And that's why the, 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 the author in Hebrews chapter 10 now is explaining to us that there is no longer sacrifice than Christ's perfect sacrifice. So it's not forgive us as we forgive those. We are forgiven because Christ died on the cross. That's why we are forgiven. We are not forgiven because we've forgiven other people. We are forgiven because Christ has forgiven us. And because Christ has forgiven us, now I can extend forgiveness to my fellow brethren. Amen. What I'm saying, just think about it very carefully. Amen. Let's think about it. And the whole place was quiet. All right, so what have we learned tonight? Oh, I'll allow for one more question. Then after that, let's, let's know what we've learned tonight. Then we close.
All right, no question that won't have we lens tonight. Okay. Who else? Who else? One more contribution, then we close. I learned that the law is only a shadow of things, and that um, it's it doesn't give eternal Hey man. <laughs> He's speaking in tongues earlier. <laughs> Out of the mouth of children that has ordained strength or praise. Amen. Alright. Father, we thank you for what we've learned. We give you praise for tonight that we've been redeemed. We thank you that we've been purged from evil conscience. And with this assurance and with this truth, may we come boldly to the Holy of Holies, which is your presence, and may we stay there. Father, we pray that continue to give us insight, illumination, revelation, wisdom on what we've heard tonight, O Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. I appreciate you spending 15 minutes extra with me. I believe some way, somehow, we've all been blessed. I'll, I'll challenge you to read more on the subject of redemption or uh, whatever you can do. If you have any questions, you can just uh, chat with me by the side. I will gladly answer any questions. If I can't, too, I'll be very honest to you. All right? So God bless you guys. Good night. I'll see you on Sunday in person service. God bless you.